0: Some of the best content, sales content I have seen personally is the stuff that Gong has posted over the last three to five years. And today I'm super excited because I got to sit down with the CMO, Udi, over at Gong. And we're going to dig into a bunch of things, but before we do that, you're listening to Outbound Squad. We're all about helping you as a sales rep or sales leader turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you or your team are sending cold emails, making cold calls, landing those meetings through cold outreach, or you're running those sales calls and advancing them to close, you're definitely in the right place. The reason why I'm talking to Udi today is, well, one, uh, someone on his team reached out, so that's that's always nice. But Gong is a client of mine. I've done some work with them and, and always just been a really big fan of how they market. I can't think of another company, nothing comes to the top of my head right now, that does as good of a job of marketing and brand creation as they do. People love Gong. And their motto in the marketing department is to make sales easier. So what we're going to talk about is the collaboration between sales and marketing, and how as a sales leader, especially if you're listening to this, how you can really foster a better relationship with marketing to get the content that your reps need to land the meetings, close the meetings, all that kind of good stuff. We're going to talk about their approach to content and brand. And then we're going to spend some time talking about messaging. So what is marketing's role in the messaging that gets put into cold emails, talk tracks, et cetera. This is going to be an action packed episode. I really enjoyed talking to Udi, the guy's a boss. So without further ado, let's get to the interview yeah i'm excited to be talking to you today because i uh, i've always been a big fan of how gong markets uh, in particular the content that you guys create um the gong sales lab stuff it's it's data that i constantly like reference and you know all of that kind of stuff so it's a it's exciting to to be talking to you i'm curious so you've been a marketer for for a while (laughs) for a hot minute um nice
1: euphemism for all
0: how have you in your career because we're going to be talking about like sales and marketing alignment how have you over your career um really gotten to know like the sales side of things how did how did that work for you? How did you think about that? Was that an intentional thing? You just kind of learned the ropes just by doing it. How do you think about like sitting in the seat, I guess, of the, of the, uh, of the sales department and really kind of getting familiarized with what they do, what they care about, what they think of marketing, where the friction is, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I think anyone who wants to be in marketing and succeed at it and make an impact and get promoted and seen as creating value has to care constantly about sales mm. because when when I am asked what marketing does at gong, I describe it in three words we make sales easier mm-hmm. okay um, that's four words with the we but make sales easier is three so <laughs> Honestly, everything we do, we look through that lens and it's something I, I repeat every month at the onboarding session. I give new gongsters and, and every offsite with my team when we talk about our current focus areas. It all starts with how can we make sales easier right now? Do they need more pipeline? Do they need help with adoption? Do they need help with churn? What do they need? And then we further break it down by segment and geography and channel, etc. cetera. Um, marketing teams who I've seen in the past operate in a silo or on a best effort basis, let's do a bunch of things, hope some of them stick to the wall and that they actually help sales, but they don't work on a daily basis with sales, getting their feedback before they launch some programs, during the launch of programs, after the launch of programs and just keep doing their own thing in their own little bubble. Those never work out. They just never work out because just imagine your right arm doing its own thing, your left arm doing its own thing. Yeah. um, I couldn't really pick up a cup of coffee doing that. Right. Um, And that's, that's what misaligned go-to-market teams look like. So um, I I made it my business to be interested in what sales is doing from, from day one and how I focus on the things that are going to help drive sales. And as I said, it can be anything from pipeline to the right messaging, to the drawing the right people to an event, to sending uh, the right content to the right people and, in a way that would get them to raise their hands to take a next step, all of that, it has to be focused on what will help make sales easier.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it sounds like just the make sales easier, just even in that statement there, it sounds very much like a, uh, you know, like with leadership, we call it servant leadership. It sounds very much like you, correct me if I'm wrong, look at the role of marketing as supporting sales. Like that's the big thing that you're thinking about or did I, I don't want to make any, all
1: the functions in the company need to support sales, right? Yeah. If you're in a not-for-profit business and then you might be about, you know, singing kumbaya mm-hmm. or whatever you want to do uh, in a for-profit business. We're all supporting sales, product support sales, finance support sales, people yeah. support sales and marketing and customer success. All of us support sales, ops strategy, uh, all of these departments support sales. That That is the only way the company makes money and the only way we all get paid. Um, so yes, um, do we all consider ourselves support organizations? I, I'm fine with that definition. Some people mm-hmm. take it as a hit to their ego. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm I very realistic about where marketing fits in. Um, nobody starts a marketing department for the art or science of creating marketing. People start marketing as an investment in the business to... Create a brand to create demand to drive more sales. It's as simple as that. Um, there are other ways of putting it that I think other people are, are more comfortable with. Sometimes, so thinking of sales as a almost a two pronged approach or two headed dragon, where marketing and mm-hmm. sales are going to the battle together. That that's another way of putting it. And sometimes marketing, well, ideally, marketing almost always shows up first, right? Setting the, the groundwork, creating awareness, creating market education, and so. That pushes some people to run to us before our sales team even go looking for them. And then the outbound mm. approach is where sales go and meet a, a half-baked audience that marketing has already been working on. So there are a few ways yeah. of putting it, but but absolutely, I think we're, we're all supporting sales. It's, it's, a, it's a team sport, as the cliche goes. And uh, without sales, uh, nothing else really has the right to exist.
0: Yeah. How much of that... Like the stance of how you think about marketing, how your department thinks about like the culture behind it, how much of an impact do you think that has on reducing the amount of friction that there is between sales and marketing? And the reason I ask is that, um, Yo Gong is one of my clients, like, you know, and I work with several clients kind of in that same size. I'm, I'm working on some of the bigger companies too, <laughs> but I, I see a lot of friction on this side you don't see it at gong there's a few other clients i don't really see it but some of them it's like there's a culture where one side complains a lot about the other to someone that's kind of a stranger like myself you know what i mean it's very surprising to hear a lot of that kind of stuff so it's kind of a long roundabout way of asking you like (laughs) um like does the culture that is instilled on the marketing side of of gong like what role does that play in just reducing friction and just kind of opening up communication where people are looking to help each other versus looking to point fingers kind of thing
1: i, I think that's a great topic and uh before coming to gong uh i i consulted a few handfuls of companies as well and I, I saw the same thing that you described in some companies where i was just pulling what little hair i have left out wondering how can sales and marketing coexist in this company when they don't even speak to each other like i speak to yeah when they speak to each other, that's just plain wrong. And if I trace it back and I look at successful companies like Gong who get it right, uh, I see a few things that that happen and I'll kind of list them in order of succession. I think, one, it starts from the very top, which is the CEO. If the CEO understands that the only way the company is going to succeed is by having a strong, well-coordinated go-to-market arm, and the key to that is that, at the very least, sales and marketing – are constantly speaking with each other, figuring out problems together, understanding where each other need help and working together to solve those problems. It, it's not going to work if it doesn't start from, from there. And yeah. we're very fortunate to have a, a visionary CEO, Amit Bendel, uh, who is also a former marketer. So if, if you're looking for other hints on why this might be especially successful at Gong, it, it might come from there. Amit was mm-hmm. the a CMO for many years before becoming a CEO um, once foregone. And I think he totally understands both from first hand knowledge, but also from the strategic point of view, how important it is to align sales and marketing and make sure they're working together. So, so that's where it starts. The next thing is you bring in the leaders of the sales and the marketing functions. And those two have to get along and find a way of cooperating together. Because if they don't, I think there's very little chance for their bench and the people be, below them, people who report to them to be able to work together effectively. Uh, people take the cue, just like children take the cue from their parents and they, they will do as their parents do, not as their parents say. I think it's the same thing in a company. If the CMO and the CRO are not on speaking terms or are making uh, nasty jokes and remarks about each other and the sales is complaining that marketing is bringing junk leads and marketing is complaining that sales doesn't follow up, their people are going to take the cue and realize that they're not supposed to be cooperating and helping each other, but actually each yeah. in their own direction. So there's many ways where this can break down. If the CEO mm-hmm. doesn't hire the right people to do this, it's not going to work. If the leaders of the two departments don't constantly work with each other and uh, assume best best intentions on the other side and really show a lot of respect to the other team, even in internal meetings, right? When, when we have yeah. our marketing meetings... We give a ton of credit to what sales is doing and the challenges that they're having and how we are responsible and how we can help them. And I know that sales is doing the same and they take every opportunity to thank marketing for creating wonderful events and bringing all the right people and driving tens of millions in pipeline at that event and for doing a great job with the social media that brings a lot of interest to people. And they they tag us marketers on gong calls when someone shouts out, Hey, I just read that amazing uh, Gong Labs post yesterday, and I just uh, saw this amazing piece of content you released, or I attended this event, and they shout that out because a they they are proud of gong marketing. it's a big part of the success of the company, and uh, they like showing that uh that respect back to us so that we are more motivated to help them moving forward, so it's all those things that they, they all have to align,
0: yeah. Because uh, this podcast is geared towards sales people and sales leaders. So if I was to ask from a sales leader standpoint, let's say that they're it's a VP of sales and they're trying to create more of this feedback and communication loop that you're talking about. What is something proactively you think a sales executive could do? Give
1: and instant maybe what does that Give instant okay. feedback. If, if you want to get more and you should demand a lot from your marketing... You need to give instant feedback if marketing did something good occasionally it happens show them show them that you appreciate them give them credit for it give them a public yeah. shout out in a slack channel at a company all hands meeting at your own team meeting uh at an off at, at sales kickoff wherever it's appropriate give instant feedback and show your appreciation you have no idea yeah. how that motivates the marketing folks who in many companies just never hear those shout outs. It, it sounds like yeah. it's trivial if you know anything about leading people, but people need that encouragement. So that's number one. Two, um, if marketing did something that is not helping you right now and you don't get it, go talk to the head of marketing and ask the questions. And if if you don't think it's in the right direction, if, if you think something was missed, and, and this is best done in private, not in the public channels, not in your team meeting, yeah. go talk to the head of marketing or the head of demand gen or the head of PMM or whoever... Uh, whoever's world this this problem lives in, go talk to them, ask questions, give feedback, say, hey, um, I see what you did here. Have we considered this approach instead? I'd like to brainstorm with you on this or I'd like a heads up on something like this before it goes out. Hey, we, we, we had our share of mess ups, like campaigns that went out without giving people the right heads up, uh, experiments on the website that surprised some people in sales because we didn't go through the whole flow of communications as well as we should have. So we, we got the feedback, we made it right, and we got better for next time. And that's how that circle of trust continues working.
0: I love that. Just the feedback, loop. absolutely. Is there a, if you're uh, comfortable sharing at Gong, how often, like, what does that logistically look like between sales and marketing? Like, how often are... You guys meeting with each other? like, What is facilitated, I guess? this, What is the stuff that happens on purpose?
1: So in the early days, when the teams were very small, it was uh, my CRO, Ryan Longfield, and I would get together every single week uh, back before the pandemic. We were in the office. So we we used to make a point of going out for Mm. for a coffee bar and going to get uh, coffee, in my case, uh, green tea or whatever ridiculous drink Ryan drinks that day, Uh, his part. I love the wine, but he's not a coffee person. Um, I know that he's back to decaf now. Like that is the granularity that I know how my CRO takes their coffee because I yeah. meet with them as often as I can. And if, if you don't know your, your counterparts, coffee preferences, then you're not doing it right. It means you're not eating yeah. often enough. Right. And so we used to take walks once a week. We used to talk about first of all, personally, how are you doing? How's the family? And after that, and, and treating each other like old friends, then we can start talking business without any finger pointing, without like you're not doing this or you are doing that, but provide constructive criticism on what we need right now, what we're getting and what we're not getting from the other. Uh, Like I can tell them, Hey Ryan, you did this campaign last week, but this team of yours did not do follow-up. What can we do to make that work? Do you need me to come in and provide more training or context or the why behind it? And we'll find a solution. And if we did a campaign that, uh, or if I don't know, there's not enough pipeline in mid market, Ryan will come to me and say, Hey, what are we doing here? I know you're aware of this challenge. Uh, here's what we're up against. What can we do together to make this work? And we'll figure out a way to, to make it work. None of us are perfect. Uh, we assume best intentions. Uh, even when we do all the right things, we won't always get the results that we intended to get. But creating that relationship and working together is so important. Now that our teams are larger, I mean, I've mean, i got 50 plus on my team and ryan has got hundreds. Uh, we, we don't get to meet uh, as often, but I can tell you that I'm pretty sure that almost every hour of the day, there is a sales leader and a marketing person talking and coordinating a campaign or follow up on a program uh, because our teams are so embedded and and weaved into each other right now. So um, a lot of that coordination now happens one, two and three levels below the C level with the demand gen and the ABM program supporting each RVP and their own AEs and doing account planning for each one. And, the events team infiltrating everywhere that they need uh, to be working with sales, and and same for, for content and PR and the rest of the team. So, um, so that coordination just trickles down, and we have all these tentacles on both teams that are just interweaving with each other to make sure that alignment happens on on every front.
0: Yeah, so it's sort of built into the fabric of the culture at this point. It from has what to it sounds be. like, it has. Yeah, to be. yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So again, if I'm listening on my sales leader, it's like I can, especially an executive, be very proactive in that relationship or setting up those meetings or facilitating some of that dialogue. Um, If we kind of shift gears a bit, you brought up this, it's a question you get asked a lot from what you said was this balance of brand building, the stuff that quote unquote is hard to determine an ROI from, (laughs) you know, is the common complaint about that versus demand gen stuff that's cre- you know creating pipeline you know for the sales team that's a little bit more measurable um how do you think about the balance of those two and and it might be good just because we have sales people listening to you. maybe maybe kind of define the difference between those two so that the sales folks have a little bit more empathy and understand kind of what marketing is is doing and how they think about the different buckets of of their job
1: sure so um I, i'll take maybe a slightly unorthodox approach to this you know when um uh... When you walk into a pharmacy to pick up your toothpaste, uh, how do you go about it? You probably go and pick up a brand that you're, you're used to using, or if you don't find your usual there, you'll pick up one that you've heard of, and like, generally, you, you think it's kind of a big brand, right? You're not going to actually look at all the 52 different brands of toothpaste in front of you, read the back of the label, and figure out which one has more fluoride than the other, right? You're, you're not going to do that. Uh, yeah. that. That is the power of brand. That is the power mm-hmm. of brand. And another another way that I like of thinking about brand, and this, this goes for people as well as companies, is brand is what people say about you when you leave the room, okay? Mm-hmm. Think about it. You've, you've, we've all been in that situation. You're at a cocktail party, someone leaves the room, and then someone might say something about that person. Oh, he's always the funniest person in, in the room. Or like, oh, thank God he finally left. I thought he'd never leave. Um, you don't want to be that guy, right? Or that company. Yeah. So brand is what... People say about you when you're not in the room. And that means that we can intentionally design what that will be. If we understand that brand is not what we say. And th- this is the big distinction. It's not what's on my website. It's not one, what's on my business card. Because that's what I'm saying. Brand is what other people say about you. Now, what do you want to stand for? Once you figure that out, you can reverse engineer how to get to that point. Okay, uh, an example for, for a company or a product would be what do people write on review sites about you? What do they write on G2 about your product? What do they write on Glassdoor about your employer experience, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? The, the, the internet is a wild place today, and you can find reviews about everything from the coffee in your kitchen to your product to your recruiting process to your leadership. It's all out there. And so brand is not what you write on our website. Oh, we're this fast-paced, dynamic environment where opinions are appreciated. Nobody cares what's on your website. People are going to say what they're going to say based on what they experience with you. And that, that long-winded introduction to brand is to say this. Brand is far too important to leave it to marketing. I'll repeat that. Brand is far too important to leave it to marketing. Brand is something that the entire company from the CEO downwards creates together. And I'll give you an example. You know, many companies say we're customer centric. And then you go to any review side and you read about the crap service that they provide you. Like I, I won't oh. mention any names, but just think of your <laughs> telecom provider or your um, yeah. whatever um, your, your mobile carrier or your, utilities, one of your utilities, last time you called them, did you really feel that they were customer centric, that your time was really valuable? Um, I I don't. I don't. So It doesn't matter matter what they write on their website, right? What matters is the experience that they provide. So here's a different approach to that. At at Gong, many years ago, we we defined our eight operating principles and we put them on our website um, just to show what we stand for. But more importantly, we weave them into our daily life at Gong. And from the initial candidate experience, where we discuss these operating principles, to the onboarding experience of new employees, where we discuss and teach those principles, to the everyday recognition, to our annual Outstanding Gongsters Awards, to what we hire for and promote for and sometimes part ways about, it's about our operating principles. And that is one way that we instilled our culture and values and Made it super clear to everyone inside and out what is important to us. So, to make it a little more tangible, um, I'll talk about one of the eight principles. Our number one operating principle that I'm sure you've heard by now is create raving fans. Yep. That is our number one operating principle gone. Now, you could go and write that on your website uh, if you wanted to sound customer centric. Again, I'm sure your utility provider has some version of that on their website, right? Your time is valuable. Your wait time, estimated wait time is going to be 42 minutes. Now, at Gong, every employee is empowered to create raving fans. From the recruiting coordinator who tries to create the most wonderful recruiting experience and interview experience for every candidate, to the support engineer who tries to find the best and fastest and painless solution for every problem the customer has, to the engineers who will Sometimes do a code fix at an ungodly hour because they know that a customer is waiting for a cr- uh, critical fix. And I could keep on with examples, but I, I think you're starting to get the picture. When we say that we create raving fans, we have to stand by that. And that means that 1,300 Gong employees are working day and night to create raving fans. It doesn't matter that's on the website. What matters is yeah. the experience that we provide. And yeah. how do we know that we succeeded? When... We go to Glassdoor and we see that candidates who interviewed with us but didn't even get an offer are writing rave reviews of Gong because they had such a great candidate experience. That's the bar that we hold ourselves to. When we go to G2, uh, which incidentally today published, uh, once again, the Gong is the leader in pretty much every category we're listed in. That is a raving fan experience. It doesn't matter what Gong says. what matters is what the customer felt and experienced and what do they go say about us once we're not in the room anymore. And that is in in modern day context is what you see on G2 and Glassdoor and similar websites and and just everyday conversations. You know, when when I go to a business conference or just meet friends at a dinner, there's always going to be someone there who either used Gong or, or is using Gong or is buying Gong and they'll go, Oh my gosh, I love Gong. I, I, Today, I, I, I published one of the fun reviews that we got on G2. I, I won't repeat it here, but it, it, it's hilarious. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's basically uh, I, I effing love, love Gong. And, and that is the type of excitement that we elicit from, from our yeah. users and from our employees and from our candidate and from our partners. That's creating raving fans. So that's how you create brand. And I know we haven't even started talking about marketing because I'm so passionate about. Why brand doesn't even start or end in marketing? So so that's yeah. that's what creating a brand really means. Now, if you create a brand like that, then of course everything becomes infinitely easier. The work of marketing and sales and support are far easier when the baseline is everyone effing loves you, right? Yeah. And so marketing, I see us more as a steward of the brand. We get to dress up the brand. We get to pick the crazy bulldog that's mm. going to greet you on the website. And we pick the funky colors and the, the weird logo shape and the tongue in cheek tone of voice. We get to do all that fun stuff, but we're the steward of the brand. We mm. we do not own the brand. We did not create the brand ourselves and anyone at gone could cause us to dilute and lose our brand. So that's really, really important to to understand.
0: Yeah. I love that. A couple of things I took away from that, just kind of themes from what you've shared so far is you look at marketing. It's a very interconnected thing. It's not just marketing. It's not just sales. It's not just recruiting. It's like ingrained through the entire fabric of a company. And I love it. You said you're the steward of the brand. It's like, you just happen to be the department that helps communicate this to the masses, you know, kind of thing. This other thing I want to talk to you about is this concept of show. Don't tell. I think one of the best illustrations of that is <laughs> this has stuck out to me for the longest time. I love you guys still have this page on your website called our raving fans.
1: Yeah. Go and on, again, go it's
0: exactly what you talked about in action. It's not us saying we have raving fans. We're so awesome. It's no, just look at what other people have to say about us. And I was wondering, how do you think about s- social proof? Or do you really, as a, as a marketer, think about the social proof that you were building or how you gather the things that people say about you and like kind of put that in front of, you know, the people that you're marketing to. Yeah.
1: So, so that, that's a great example of, uh, what I meant when I said that everything becomes infinitely easier when you have raving fans. (coughs) When I joined Gong, we had 11 beta customers. Um, sorry, we had 12 beta customers, 11 of them turned into paying customers within three months. That's when I joined. This was
0: dang. uh, What year was that?
1: Uh, 2016,
0: 2016. Oh my 2016, goodness! I to that growth, 30. yeah, the um, growth is 30. insane. It's only been five or six years since then.
1: It's been six years, and we've grown 100x in employees from when I joined as employee number 13. We're now wow
0: 100,
1: and uh, you know we yeah, had, as I said, a handful of, of customers. We now have 3,500 customers. So uh,
0: that is insane.
1: Than, uh, 100. Yeah, that's like 300 plus percent growth. Um, so
0: the, uh, sorry in the thousand three thousand I, I think yeah I think it's over three thousand you're cutting yourself short there I know,
1: I know. <laughs> sorry um, now when when now why am I telling this story uh, because uh, like a month after I joined Amit my CEO uh, flew out to a conference I think it was the 2017 Saster or something like that and I'm like uh, Amit we should collect customer stories there uh. We only have a handful of customers, but at least half of them are probably going to be there because you know it's one of those events where the early early stage startups all show up to. So uh, again, I was su- we were super scrappy, right? I didn't have any videographers, no production companies. I was the only marketer on the team. I'm like, Amit, uh, I'm going to order for you on Amazon and send to your hotel uh, a lapel mic to connect to your iPhone, a tripod, <laughs> because I knew you didn't own one, to put your iPod on so it's not shaky. And yeah. I'm going to get you one light because I don't know what kind of lighting you're going to have uh, around the booth. You need a good light for, for shooting a customer video because nobody wants to watch a crappy, shady video with bad audio. So I send him a light, a tripod, and a lapel mic for his iPhone. He gets them at the hotel, shows up at, at our little booth at Saster. He comes back with, I think it was 12 or 13 customer videos because some of our customers actually send a small delegation there. So we grabbed their sales ops person and their sales leader and one of their AEs. And boom, we've got three testimonials from a single customer now. And we did that for, for the handful of customers who showed up. I send it to editing. This, this was all done on Amit's iPhone. And a week later, I've got 12 testimonials on my website. I, I yeah, literally I mean. had more testimonials than customers at the time. And I could do this because they were all raving fans. Yeah, They didn't have to twist anyone's arm to talk to me. They're all like, yeah. oh my God, I love this. Of course, I'll sit in your booth for five minutes and give you a testimonial. This is great. So, you know, marketing can't fix everything. Um, I don't think we can easily fix product market fit. We can help with the effort, but if it isn't there, it isn't there. Mm-hmm. We can't create raving fans all on our own. But if those really important necessities are there. If you have product market fit, if the entire company is committed to creating raving fans, then marketing's job just became a whole lot easier. You can go get these testimonials and push them in the the hands of the salespeople. And literally, this was like a godsend for our sales reps because when they were trying to push a product in a category that nobody ever heard of, think back to 2016, 2017. Nobody knew what conversation intelligence was. Nobody knew who Gong was. We were literally nobody's. This, and we had this small team selling out of Tel Aviv, out of a tiny WeWork office, uh, but they would send customers to our website, go check out, we've got like dozens of reviews on our website of our happy customers. They go like, wow, this is a real company. Yeah. So the testimonials and, and and social proof absolutely work. And, you know, we were in the first cohort of companies to invest in G2 and, and other platforms to go showcase those those customer stories. Uh, it was much later that Gardner and Forrester also came into the picture. But in the early days, we we saw that G two was probably going to take the world by a storm because they move much faster than uh, those sort of legacy analyst firms, and they they allow users to independently write reviews and quickly publish them. And like this is exactly the quick wins that we want. So we we send a nice email to customers asking them, hey if you're having a great experience with Gong, do you mind clicking here and writing your review on G2? And the next morning we get a call from G2 and like, Gong, what did you do? We got over 400 reviews overnight for your platform. What, what's going on? And I'm like, That's I don't so know. That's nice. Like we just asked nicely. That's all we did. Yeah. The first email we sent out, got over 400 reviews. I'm like, okay, this works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really comes back to the, the mantra that you said, you know, make sales easier. It's, I can't tell you how many cold call recordings I listened to working with gong reps where people recognize the company on a cold call. You know what I mean? And it's like, God, I, could you imagine? I mean, it's I probably for who, you guys to imagine what that's not like. <laughs> arguably, you know? Well, I was there when it was not
1: like this. I was there when phone you know? <laughs> coming up on that because gong who? Uh, you uh, 2016, 17. Um, arguably... If you call and they recognize your brand, is that even still a cold call? I would argue that just Real. became a warm conversation because yeah. now you have the power of brand that allows you to continue that conversation. Yeah. It's, you know, the next best thing would be, oh, yeah, I, I just attended one of your events or I mm-hmm. read one of your pieces of content. I really loved it. That's yeah. a next level of warm that we try to help our outbound SDRs and AEs by creating these thousands of marketing touch points with our prospects every every month. And then the holy grail is, of course, inbound where we've pushed them far enough and we've presented the right content to the right people, including the customer testimonials and the mm-hmm. product information and the amazing content that they actually reach out. and like, okay, you've got me. Shut up and take my money. I want to speak with a salesperson and get a demo. So yeah. we help sales in all of those touch points from what you just described as a cold call, but most of them actually recognize Gong at this point. To the yep. warmer conversations where they've interacted with content, we know this, and so we're reaching out at an opportune time to discuss yeah. that interaction. To the inbound, which is a huge part of our revenue these days, where customers are coming to us.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the content because that's, I think pr- most people listening to this probably found out about Gong through uh, something that Devin Reed posted, uh, you know, back in the day, or Chris uh, Orlo posted. Um, And I got a couple of questions here because one of the big things that I see across almost all of my clients, besides you guys, and there's a couple others, is the content. It's just so bad. I'm like the people that consume this content that you want talking to your salespeople, they would never consume this content. And then you look at Gong Labs, you're like, okay, I'm going to reach out to a sales leader and I can lead with an insight and say, hey, this new product that you just launched, not sure if you know or not are you able to measure how much your reps are feature dumping because according to our you know stats on x amount of calls it's like like you can do that um two couple questions here first one is how intentional was it to get people that had previously been in a sales role like from what i understand chris and devin came from sales roles and then right. now they're in in marketing was that intentional
1: it, it was it was very intentional um i don't think you can fake a, a domain knowledge, even on something that's not super technical, like sales. It, yeah. if, you know, at this point, I, I think I could, I could write decent content for sales, but I can't write great content for, I don't know, IT or, or a department I've never really worked on. I will always be the outsider. And, I think that was one of the keys that my first hire on the team was Chris Orlov. And three years later, uh, he moved to the dark side in sales and uh, (laughs) literally swapped in the same month. Devin, who was a mid market AE at Gong, he switched to the marketing team. And three years later, he's transitioned on. And now I have someone else in that role.
0: Who's in that role now? If you, I would love to, I feel bad because I know Devin doesn't recently. It's it's a recent
1: transition. So uh, the, the, the recent author of Gong Labs is Dan Morjazi. Dan is actually a former Forrester analyst, who we oh, hired wow. uh, a couple of years ago to the team to help us advance our thought leadership, because we were looking at the uh, type of the content that, that Forrester and Gartner were producing, like, wow, these these reports, while they're not always the most exciting reading material, they, they carry a lot of weight with enterprise buyers, right? You want to oh, know,
0: yeah.
1: uh, like when they publish a survey and they're like, this company is what you should be looking at right now, companies pay attention. So Mm -hmm. we're like, okay, we we want to do these and we occasionally do them directly with uh, Forrester and Gardner, but they're super expensive to do and they take forever to work with Forrester and Gardner to create them. So we have the thought, why don't we just create these in-house and who could do it better than we just hire a great Forrester analyst who knows how to write great content like that. And now we can do it as often as we like at home. So that's what we did. We hired Dan out of Forrester. And uh, he's been uh, working on the on the content uh, thought leadership with us uh, so there's a bunch of folks doing different things on the team you know some of them like Nahal is focused more on uh, podcast and uh, and social media and Jordan is focused on content strategy and now Danmore Jay-Z is kind of the face of gong labs in the last few months um, and there are other team members that are doing uh, doing fantastic work as well so um, I, I don't think it matters so much who is the face or the voice of, of the content. I mean, we had the great fortune of having these great people uh, do this for us and we have great people doing it for us now. Uh, what's important is that the content is valuable, right? You, you see this so-called internet influencers, social influencers that come and go because they're either restating the obvious and they're not adding any value to your day by just yeah. copying and pasting generic posts that they've seen elsewhere or that you could easily find on Google. But... Gong always took a different approach of we're going to work for months to create a really well-researched piece that we know is going to provide a ton of value when it's published. Like this cannot be ignored. And, yeah. mm. and then we go and publish it by one of our amazing human beings, whether it's Chris or Devin or Dan or someone else, um, because we know that our readers want to connect with humans and not just with a corporate logo. So that that is an important point that we do pick a face or faces for for gong at different times because people do want to interact with humans they're far more likely to ask a question or make a comment whether they like it or hate it they're far more likely to do that if a human publishes it versus a corporate logo
0: yeah yeah I love that it's uh when you think about because the content is just so tactical um, like if we were to go just a layer deeper on that how do you guys think about What to actually create the content about, (laughs) you know, like I think a line that I just wrote down, you know, this cannot be ignored. I love that kind of thinking, like, how could we create something that's really hard to ignore? But, uh, and again, maybe this is easier because it was former salespeople who already kind of get it. But that's the missing kind of piece that I see where, I mean, how many generic blog posts have you seen on all these huge companies' websites? And you go to Gong's, it's the exact opposite. It's it's one topic or a set of topics, and it goes really deep and tactical, and it gives you something that is immediately actionable. So, how do you think about like what to, can, to create the content about?
1: Great, great topic. So, the the first area of focus that guides us is what could we publish tomorrow that would provide our readers with real value, and we never have a quota of oh we need to do two tweets a day and three articles a week. And we'll publish whatever we have. And if if we don't have anything of value, we'll just scramble. We we don't. There have been weeks where we were completely quiet because we didn't have great content ready. And we've scrapped drafts and ideas that we didn't think would be valuable enough. Now, it's not to say that every single thing we publish is always an instant hit. It's not. But it has to go through a lot of scrutiny because we don't want to burn out our readership list. If we send Mm -hmm. out an email with a blog post that did not provide value to the vast majority of our readers, they are going to unsubscribe and that is forever. And we take that very seriously. I want to earn that place in their inbox. I want to provide value that they'll go like, wow, gong! This is the best newsletter I've ever been subscribed to. And I'm not even using your product yet. So we start from a place of value. It's not about what we want to say, what we want to pitch, what we want to promote. It's about what you care about today. And we will find a way of getting that to you. I'll give you a quick example. When COVID started, uh, we saw similar to what's happening now that uh, many, many deals are now getting scrutinized by not just the business user, but by the CFO. And so we figured that salespeople are struggling to get through CFOs because they never really had to do that before, especially when selling to small or mid-sized companies. So within 48 hours, the content team put out a piece of how to get through your buyer's CFO. And that became an instant hit with thousands of downloads because that was what was on everyone's top of mind at the time. It, yeah. it did not promote Gong in any way. It was just providing value to our readers. And that's where we start from. It's not, oh, we just had release 2.3 slash zero. Let's go write all about that. If it's not interesting, we're not going to write about that. But if we can solve a problem, even if it's not directly related to our product, but the same audience could get value from it, that's what we'll go and write about. So that's, that's number one. Number two... Is we try to steer away from the obvious and the cliche, right? Um, mm-hmm. As you said, the internet is so full of these superficial articles that are complete fluff that it's clear that someone either got paid by the word or had a quota of, of how many articles they need to publish this week. But literally, you don't understand why you just waste, wasted the last five minutes reading this because it provided nothing new or non obvious. So we love going in the other direction and not for the sake of argument, but for the sake of. The intellectual curiosity, creating something that could be controversial or polarizing. You know, A good example is a couple of years ago, we published a piece of research that showed that salespeople who swear on their sales calls can yeah. win up to 8% more deals than those who don't. And that was a beautiful shitstorm that brewed up on LinkedIn <laughs> when we published that, pardon my French, because everyone had an opinion on this. Some of them going like, yeah, Yeah. this is the bomb. This is what I've been saying. And others are going, I'm appalled that you would suggest that people swear on their sales calls. And we're like, yes, let's get the popcorn out. This is what we were hoping to create a conversation. And you don't get that if you publish some trivial piece of nonsense that everyone's read 20 times before, you know, always be wary of someone starting with unpopular opinion. They're usually taking what has now become a very popular opinion and just putting it out there to, to look rogue. To themselves. But no, if if you're going to publish a cliche, then nobody cares. Um, it has to be something that is unique and has a point of view and is not afraid to be bold and make a statement and take a side. If you don't take a side, then then you're probably boring.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The uh there's very much a quality over quantity approach. It's like I was just looking at the gong blog. When you click on a company's blog usually any large company it's product updates usually is is a bunch of product updates we just launched this we just did that the gong blog is literally the exact opposite there's rarely do i ever see a product update unless it's like you know (laughs) it's it's mostly when i see cool product updates it's mostly people on the team people like yourself posting a cool kind of video on it or a cool like here's how like you can do here's how people like you can use this, you know, or here's how a customer is winning. Um, I wanted to, it's got about 10 minutes left. I wanted to shift gears into messaging a bit and ask you, there's a couple of, I don't know if these are hot takes necessarily, but cold email messaging. Who do you feel should write those? What kind of collaboration should there be? All of that kind of stuff. I want to know your, your kind of take on this. You're opening
1: up a whole can of <laughs>
0: um,
1: I tell you I'm not afraid of being controversial or polarizing. So I will start by saying I don't think anybody should be writing cold emails. I, I don't think we should be writing generic emails that we can send to 5,000 people. Yeah. Because that might have worked 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, when when companies started to allow someone like you to take a generic email and send it to a lot more people faster. And for a while that worked because people mm-hmm. go Oh my God, this says dear John, they must know who I am. I, I wonder yeah. what wonderful content is waiting for me later in this email. But now you know that if anyone writes dear John, you definitely don't want to open that email because yeah. nobody would actually write to you that way anymore. Um, but all of our inboxes have become completely unmanageable at this point with thousands and thousands of what we call carpet bomb emails. Someone just had some generic message that supposedly applies to 5,000 people in your situation. And they're just sending that in hopes that a handful of us actually write back and say, Yeah, this was mildly interesting. I'd be interested in learning more. Um, I, I think that world is coming to an end. I think that world is yeah, coming definitely. to an end. Um, in the age of, All of us have access to, or should have access, I should say, to data about our customers and data about our peers, what they're doing, what's working, what's not working. And with the power of AI, who can map all this information together, come up with what's really working and not working. If it sounds familiar, that's kind of the Gong Labs content concept, and it's also Gong's product concept. Take all these learnings from what we call reality, which is all these customer conversations and spew out a truly personalized email that doesn't have a 3% chance of you responding to, but has a 30% chance of you responding to. And that—that that is how we see the future of cold emailing. Um, so shameless self-plug, we, we, we recently announced uh, an upcoming product from Gong that is going to transfer, transform the sales engagement and prospecting category in a very similar way to how we transform conversation intelligence and later revenue intelligence. So. We we think that the legacy approach to cold emailing the same thing to thousands of people in hopes that it sticks, that, that's, that's going to be a
0: thing of the past. Yeah. So is this – I haven't seen this yet. So is this going to be able to take – because I was always – a dream of mine has always been how could you take thousands of sales conversations and extract themes across different types of job titles or personas or industries and say, hey – in these 300 calls that we've had with VPs of sales, they bring up these problems, these two or three things. And here's like kind of the verbiage and the language. And like, that would be such an awesome starting point to, to building, you know, I call it a cold email, but to me, a cold email, I'm referring to the more account-based style. I'm going to research this person, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that what this is going to do is something along those lines? Or what is, what is this tool going to help people do?
1: It's going to be help them. A, focus on the most pressing topics for that recipient, which I suspect are almost never going to be identical between more than Mm -hmm. a handful of of recipients. If that, because today we know that cold emails get sent almost uh, verbatim to thousands of people. I think the future is going to be highly personalized emails. um, Yeah. We just won't accept those general emails anymore. Uh, Two, once you've actually started a conversation with someone, and anyone selling into the enterprise knows that you usually have to lose a few opportunities before you can actually win one with an enterprise. And that suggests you already have a complete history with them. Probably two AEs before the current AE on that account have been messaging that account. Probably two buyers before the current buyer have responded, maybe with a handful of the buying committee members. Why would you ignore all that context and start cold emailing between the new AE and the new buyer as if there's no history. That just doesn't make sense. Why would you not leverage that and say, hey, um, in looking into account, I see that last year your priority was X and then you were thinking of a pilot, but then you decided to put it off because you had a budget freeze. Is now a better time. Let's talk. Why would you ignore all that context? Yeah. And so... I think with the power of AI that we have today, plus the the rich history that we have with so many of these prospects and customers, and with getting immediate inspiration from what your other team members are doing with similar prospects, we can craft much, much better emails. And our, our beta customers for, for the product that's out there, Gong Assist, are already becoming raving fans. They're like, wow, I can craft a lot more emails with a far better uh, response rate and and it's actually fun to do because i get all this inspiration and all this help from what my peers are doing there's literally an inspiration tab where you click on it and you see what your peers are sending out in similar situations
0: wow that's pretty interesting i'm just poking around on the site right now <laughs> it's branded yeah. probably that like one page
1: buried there somewhere so don't hold me accountable dude yet
0: interesting so when it comes to the messaging then how do you, how do you feel like the collaboration should, should look like when it comes to the go to market message? And when I say go to market more, the sales, uh, portion of that go to market motion, the, when I talk to someone on the phone, when I call them, when I'm on a sales call on like our talking points and value drivers and things like that, how do you think about how that messaging comes together in terms of what hands are in the cookie jar? You know what I mean? Like yeah. when it comes to departmentally, like who is coming up with that messaging?
1: So that, that all goes back to the alignment that we talked about earlier. It's, it has to start yeah. from the very top, right? And, and the, the executive team, the leadership team needs to agree on what are our differentiators? What category or categories are we playing in? How are we different? Or why are we cheaper? Or whatever the differentiators are, agree on those at the company level. And then at the go-to-market level, it's typically product marketing who puts together the messaging hierarchy, like here's our mission and vision and differentiators, and these are the top benefits, and here's mm-hmm. how we articulate why we're better than competitor X, Y, and Z. And then that trickles down into the templates for the SDR emails and the, the marketing information and the website copy and the sales deck and the talk tracks and all of that stuff. You can't be sending like half a dozen different versions of the stuff, or, or you're going to lose out on on that consistency and and driving and reiterating that message. There's enough data showing that you need a lot of repetition to get a simple message through someone's ears. If you're going to try getting six different messages, you're never going to succeed. And so when we see sometimes things sort of uh, coming apart at the seams where maybe uh, one of the SDR teams is using outdated messaging or one rogue salesperson is using a year old deck without the updated messaging, First, Gong can can detect that, right? Because Gong ingests all this stuff. If Gong yeah. reads the slides that the sales rep is presenting on the call, we, we instantly know in real time that someone's using an old deck or not using the latest messaging. So that's super helpful. And then we can go and reinforce training there to make sure we're all aligned.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think the common complaint that folks have where there's not alignment is, product or marketing is asking me to say things as a salesperson that just sound weird or if I had to pitch the product in this way it sounds really kind of salesy or whatever you know kind of thing That's it sounds the, like you guys are very impact in loops come in exactly yeah you need
1: to bubble that up and, and talk to your marketer yeah. and say, hey this is not working for me I yeah put it on paper but tried saying it out loud it just doesn't flow well it doesn't feel
0: yeah. Incredible.
1: And then we go change it. It, it happens. It's a, yeah. it's a learning process.
0: Yeah. It's this interesting balance of the salespeople having the one-to-one conversations and the marketing typically having a one-to-many kind of conversation, you know, and finding the balance between those two. Um, we could have talked about that topic for for an entire hour, but uh, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, I appreciate you so much for coming on. This is a blast. Uh, I am such a huge fan of gongs marketing and the content and just, it's just awesome. And I thought it would be kind of cool to give the salespeople that listen to this kind of like a, like a glimpse into what happens behind the scenes, you know, um, before you take off though, one of the biggest things that I took away, I, I think this like show don't tell piece is really big. And the thing that really stuck with me is this, you know, this cannot be ignored. So I'm going to think about that when I create content. Now, how can I create stuff that's higher quality less volume of stuff that people just cannot ignore. That's a really kind of interesting thing to think about. Um, before you take off though, where can people go to connect with you? Learn uh, more LinkedIn, about Gong, LinkedIn, all of that kind of stuff.
1: Um, there's only one Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn. I promise. I'm not hard to find. I'm happy to connect there. And then uh, if you, you want to up-level your team to, to do more with less in this economy, uh, get your sales team up to speed and... and focus on what is salvageable if that's even a word Uh, go to gong.io that's uh, where you'll find the the reality platform by gong uh, with with engagement platform coming soon as well